Welcome to the PubCast, your inside look at electronic publishing. From ebooks to websites to podcasts and more, join us as we interview the professionals on the cutting edge of publishing. Hello and welcome to the PubCast. My name is Ken Gagne. I'll be your host today. And yes, that was my voice you heard at the beginning of the show. And no, this isn't at all awkward. I never expected I'd be introducing myself when I launched this podcast a few years ago, but here's the thing. This show is usually hosted by the students of PB403, an undergraduate course in electronic publishing that I teach at Emerson College in Boston. I am taking the fall 2014 semester off from teaching in order to launch two other podcasts, Indecider and Polygamer, and as a result, there aren't going to be any episodes of the PubCast while I'm not teaching, so I thought, maybe I should take the helm for a little while and record just a few episodes to keep the show alive. Unlike when my students turn in 14 episodes at a time and I queue them up for every Monday for several months, there isn't going to be a regular publication schedule for these episodes that I will be hosting, except that they will air Mondays at 1pm when they do air, just like all previous episodes. You can find all future episodes, as well as the previous 32 episodes of this show, and over 160 blog posts on the topic of electronic publishing at thepubcast.org. In the meantime, I have the honor of interviewing my friend Lorian Green, who has been with Transparent Language for the last six years, currently as an inbound marketer. Before that, she worked as a community manager at Turbine, and she has also produced her own documentary about board games called Going Cardboard. She is currently producing a new documentary about pinball called Shoot Again. You can find her personal website at lorianngreen.com. That's L-O-R-I-E-N green.com. So joining us today is Lorian Green, an inbound marketer at Transparent Language. Hello, Lorian. Hey, Ken. How are you? I'm great, thank you. How are you? Good, thank you. Now, your job title is one of the things that might catch somebody's eye when they're first meeting you, because that's not really a title that existed five or ten years ago. No, it's not. The whole the whole field is really new, and actually, uh, immediately prior to that, I was a social media manager, and that also was new ground, and the two kind of go together, but I'm sort of used to having titles that need explanation at this point. So my understanding from a brief search on Wikipedia is that inbound marketing is focused on getting customers to come to you instead of you going to them. Is that correct? Yep, that's absolutely correct. I mean, one of the ways, the easiest ways to explain inbound marketing is to talk about what it isn't. And, you know, it isn't like, you know, blasting television ads and billboards at random people and hoping that, you know, they're going to be somebody who's interested enough to go out and buy, you know, or buying email lists and just like mass mailing people and, you know, hoping that you hit the right person at the right time. So it's basically the opposite of that. So what does it consist of then? Well, it consists of putting out, you know, it it involves a lot of... uh Community building, social is a big element of it, and uh, a lot of search engine optimization, which is SEO, you know, um, putting the proper keywords on your website and writing content that has keywords that the people that you've profiled that you know are your customer base will be out there looking for. So the idea is you put out, you know, if you're, say your customer base is teachers looking for new ways to incorporate tech into their classroom, and that's something that you're involved in, you write articles about that. I mean, it's pretty simple. And when you publish the articles, then, you know, in theory, the teacher at the time, they're actually looking for a solution about that when it's on their mind, they Google for that topic. And if you've optimized it properly, and you're a good authority in the field, um, and you've done all these others other things right, then your article or piece of content is going to come up and that 
is basically how you open the door to a conversation. So it's it's really more relationship building than just uh, anonymous blasting out of a message. So it's much more personal, but it seems like it's also a much smaller scale and potentially a lot slower. It can be a lot slower. And one of the keys is to be smart about how you automate it because there are ways to do that intelligently. You know, the precursor, like evolutionarily speaking, is how uh, you would see emails coming in with your name personalized in them. And for a while, that was like novel and kind of like, oh, wow, cool. They know who I am. And that would get you a bigger open rate. I mean, nobody's really falling for that anymore because everybody's doing it. But that's sort of the precursor, the idea that you can take what you know about the person once they start giving you information and uh, use it to more effectively market to them. And it's really about what they want anyway. It's, it's the opposite of interruption marketing, they call it. So you're marketing to them when they want to be marketed to. Kind of like when you go on Amazon and it has you know relevant suggestions. Like Generally, people appreciate that. They don't view it as marketing, but obviously it is. So if somebody comes to your website after having Googled an article that you produced and then they sign up for your email list and you Mm -hmm. continue to supply them content through that email list, whether it's MailChimp or Campaign Monitor, Mm -hmm. is that inbound or outbound? Because you got their attention in the first place, but now you're sending stuff to them, which is outbound. It's considered inbound marketing. I mean, there, you know, it's, it's splitting hairs at a point where there's a lot of, you know, like, when you'll visit a particular website and then go to other websites and you'll start to notice banner ads following you around for the website you'd been to, that, again, is another sort of crude version of inbound marketing, but they are using an outbound medium. So stuff like that is considered inbound. Inbound is really about developing a database where you start to learn about who the person is and then strategically use that information and about providing valuable content. I think that is one of the hardest things about inbound for people is um, actually providing some value in the content and not just, you know, you see a lot of those articles that are out there that are just kind of dummy articles that don't really accomplish anything, but you can see they're just stuffed with keywords that were relevant to you. That's poorly executed inbound marketing. But yeah, email is a huge part of it. Do you focus on providing value solely in your own content or do you retweet and share other content that you think might be relevant to your customers? Absolutely, yeah. One of the big rules of the social media piece of inbound marketing when you're communicating to your customers is the stereotypical 80-20 rule, which I hate how often that gets slapped around on everything, but it's, I mean, it's basically true, so that's why, that you're only supposed to really talk about yourself 20% of the time. So the bulk of the time, you're providing value to them. And that's something that we do um, at Transparent Language on our social channels, uh, which we have a lot of because um, as a language learning company, we've divided our communities into language-specific communities. Because if you're interested in learning Spanish, you don't want content about French language and culture. So it just it doesn't work. So it's more efficient for us to divide it out. But most of the content that we stream there, you know, is about if something like really big news wise, you know, is happening in France, we put that on our French channel. And it's all about identifying what the people that are part of your different communities are interested in and providing that service to them. So they appreciate that. And the idea is that you make a relationship and you gain their appreciation and trust over time because you're not just all about you you're not just like you know those people in las vegas like standing on the sidewalk like screaming about like their particular offer that is not what you want to be in this day and age because people are really savvy and they're not having it 
So how can you tell what it is you're providing to your customers that they value? Do you measure likes and reshares and then based on that determine what to share with your audience the next time? Yep, things like that. The uh, the analytics piece in inbound marketing is critical. And that's why, you know, like we use HubSpot, but there are other similar, you know, analytics gathering tools and it's all cookie based, you know, people can, you know, sometimes get around that and then we don't know who they are. But, you know, for the most part, it works. But yeah, we use analytics. We use if something, for example, you know, the keep calm and blah, blah, blah meme that is out on the internet. We one of our bloggers, and we have, you know, different language blogs, made a keep calm and learn Portuguese picture and put it on Facebook. And the community, the Portuguese community loved it. Like there, we saw a huge uptick in shares, a big uptick in likes, lots of comments. So like, oh, this is really good. And we replicated that across our other language uh, segments. So we made, you know, keep calm and learn Spanish because, you know, once you see that it resonates somewhere, then you take advantage of that. And that's sort of that's that's a really direct replication example that a lot of uh, internet marketers aren't going to have, you know, the ability to do that. But you take that general concept, you know, if you post something to, you know, a library customer about what's challenging about getting into pe- people into libraries these days, and that seems to resonate with them, then you know you've hit a nerve. And a lot of it is trial and error, but a lot of it is also just carefully sitting down and taking the time to think about uh, the personas, the different personas that you're marketing to and who they are as people and what they would need. And, you know, some of it's guesswork, but you do through the analytics, you start to see what works and what doesn't. Are you Transparent Language's sole inbound marketer? So we work as a marketing team. I'm the only one with that title. Uh, We have a social media coordinator that just does an amazing job uh, you know, getting the day-to-day out and like posting these messages and creating a lot of the content, like the blog content. But yeah, I'm sort of the one that's supposed to have the overarching strategy and figure out, you know, like, for example, like, do we try going on SlideShare? You know, when that was a new medium, like I was the one that was supposed to take a look at that and say, oh, you know, this is worth experimenting with. Or, you know, if Facebook radically changes how they do Facebook advertising, which obviously they have multiple times. It's my job to kind of keep an eye on that and to keep an eye on the analytics and just, you know, our just general personas and try to make our, make our, uh, make our program sophisticated and work for us because in our particular case, we have several different customer segments and different personas. Some of it's B2C, some of it's B2B. So it's pretty complicated and especially just, all those different social channels, it, it makes it quite a large beast. So it's a, it's a big deal to kind of take it all in. Because I think you once told me that Transparent Language has over three dozen Facebook pages, and I'm wondering how you maintain so many. Who has that much time? Yeah, that's correct. Um, and the other thing, too, is there are just as many Twitter pages, you know, because Twitter and Facebook are the places we've seen the most success. But we also have almost as many YouTube channels. And, you know, like I said, 30, I think now we have uh, language and culture blogs with like 45 freelance writers all over the world that are contributing to them. And those are the things that I'm managing. As far as providing content to um, the Facebook pages and the social channels, you know, like finding this great relevant content, these awesome, you know, news articles about what's going on in France that particular day, we use a tool called Bundle Post. And I actually wrote a case study for them at one point because. Uh, 
they have a just a really convenient way to automate it in the sense that you want things automated. You plug in like the different keyword searches you would do, you know, because say you're Joe customer on the street that wants to know about French stuff. You're maybe going to Google News and like seeing, you know, your keyword France and French and, you know, things like that and seeing what comes up for the day. Bundle Post lets us automate that across all our language segments. And then it just lists out in, you know, typed out format that we can easily go through uh, the different headlines. And we say, oh, this is really cool that this happened in the Middle East today. Like we want to share that with our community. Or here's a language learning tip, you know, that kind of stuff. Or, you know, French was just added as so and such top language, you know, or China, in this case, uh, Chinese is a very up and coming language, uh, as is Arabic. So things like that, you know, studies from a business side, stuff that people learning Arabic or French or Chinese or Tagalog are going to care about. And it lets you take those feeds, decide what you want to use from them and schedule it. it it's kind of really, you have to see it in action to see how it works, but it's so efficient and just schedule it out when you know are the prime times for your social media channels. And that matters too. And that varies by platform as well. So it, it helps us automate that piece of it because that was a full-time job and it was not easy to do it to feed those social channels to the degree that they need to be fed to be efficient. So we saw huge improvements in our engagement once we started using that tool. When sharing third-party content, do you ever have to vet your selections by anybody higher up in the company? No. um, One of the most important things a company can do is trust their employees that you have to get somebody. And that's the thing. You don't want to have like an intern or a temp employee. And and you really don't want to have like a contract agency handling your social media, in my opinion. You want to have someone inside that knows your business that is, you know, well well-spoken, knows how to communicate, knows the right voice for social, because as you know, like even with emoticons, it's tricky to convey what you want to say. I mean, it's hard in the written form. So you need somebody who's really an expert at doing that. And then you have to give them the empowerment and the trust to go off and do it because it moves too fast. You just can't, you can't oversee, you know, that, that extra layer of oversight would just completely shoot the program in the foot in my opinion so what we do i mean i empower my social media coordinator because she does an amazing job and i trust her you said you've seen some of the most success on facebook but there are always these headlines talking about the gloom and doom of facebook about how they're driving away teenagers about how it's yesterday's thing or today's myspace do you find that to be the case part of the thing here is that our demographic skews older you know, people who want to learn a new language for self-improvement, that tends to be an older demographic. I mean, we get the younger people, too, who are in school doing it, you know, but all our corporate stuff is is older anyway. So I do think that's true. Um, but for a mature business, you know, where you're targeting to adults, it's not impacting yet. Obviously, like down the road, like that's going to become more of a factor. We have noticed, you know, as time has gone by, because we've been you know, we have nearly 3 million followers on Facebook. So when you count all the different accounts, so our Facebook community is very large. Uh, but we have noticed, you know, over the years that um, its engagement is tougher now. And Facebook did that on purpose because they don't want you to have a free lunch, even though, you know, sort of we did do some advertising in addition to organic. So we did pay, in a sense, for uh, our Facebook presence, you know, not, not, 
too heavily because you can't rely on that too heavily. You have to organically grow stuff. But, you know, say when you first launch Indonesian and you want to get some momentum behind it. So you want to get a few followers, you know, at least, you know, a few hundred. So we kind of seeded our accounts that way through advertising. But for the most part, it grows organically. It'll be interesting to see what happens over time. But one of the reasons we diversify and also go to Twitter and also go to YouTube and, you know, so forth is because you can't count on Facebook. And you do have to remember, you don't own those relationships when it's on, you know, Twitter, Pinterest, whatever. Um, If they shut up house and close or crash or change things so it's not easy for you to communicate with your customers, you're at the mercy of what they do. And we've definitely felt that sting multiple times in the past. And that's one reason that the blog uh, element and, you know, making webinars and making valuable content that sits on your website is extremely valuable. It's great to have an audience, but um, SEO brings you an audience that is just, you know, unless Google does something, which they do, you know, again, so you're at the mercy of that and you have to be careful. If you build solid content that's valuable on your website, then it doesn't really matter how people get at it. They will get at it. There was a video that came out this past February called Facebook Fraud about how advertising or paying to advertise on Facebook isn't really worth it. What is your experience with paid advertising on Facebook? Uh, Well, I have to say, like, originally when we did it, it worked really well for us because we weren't going... Uh, prime, we weren't only going for the U.S. market. And if you want to hit the U.S. market, you will pay through the nose on Facebook. That's been my observation. Those ads, and you can target by country, which is, you know, why that why that matters. But um, yeah, you pay a lot more per click. You pay a lot more per like. And, and I have seen articles that, you know, and recently that, you know, Facebook seeds uh the following the follower numbers with you know like fake followers and there's all sorts of allegations out there but initially when we did it we were targeting you know so that example i gave of indonesian we would target indonesia and people who like the indonesian language and we would target america as well because we wanted to build communities that had both native speakers and uh english-based learners or you know whatever language-based learners of Indonesian so that when they came together as a community, they could help each other, you know, because people back in the day, you know, especially when on Facebook, the community voice was a little more prominent. uh, People would ask questions on our communities and, you know, a native speaker would come along and answer the questions. So it was wonderful. And that doesn't happen nearly as much because now Facebook's gone a lot more corporate and a lot more markety and they've kind of buried that community element of the pages so i mean even talking to your own community is harder to do now but the community talking to each other is also difficult you mentioned that you've had job titles that need to be explained this is not your first position at transparent language previously you were the social media manager and the manager of e-commerce and online market development so how has your position at transparent language evolved over the years When I first joined up, I was sort of in charge of, you know, managing the store relationship for consumer, the email, promotional emails, very much in that sort of mass sending kind of old school style because inbound marketing hadn't come along really at that point. My background before that was uh, community relations for a video game company. So I had a lot of experience doing that stuff. And then I got the store managing experience and the email communicating with, you know, basically our community because your email list, your customer base, that's your community, no matter who you are as a company. Those are, those are your people. So 
uh, it helped uh, to have that background. But then uh, as things got, you know, as social media really heated up, I was just on hand at the time and they said, you know, you've got a lot of experience with community and so forth and we'd really like to flesh out the social media strategy. Would you take that role over? So I left e-commerce and I went to social media, which really was sort of a coming home because then you're really directly dealing with communities again, even though we didn't have forums and I wouldn't recommend a company uh, necessarily just throw forums onto their website unless they have a full-time person to manage it because it's it, it can be a rabbit hole. But so that gave me the background that made social media make sense for me to go into. And that was just really good timing because obviously it exploded. Uh, and the cool thing about Transparent is that they were already really hip to the general heart of inbound marketing at the time. They had this word of the day service, which is, you know, valuable content that would come out on a daily basis and also uh, lived on the website. So it drove people to the website uh, through keyword searches. So they were already sort of doing inbound marketing. But then uh, HubSpot, which is a Boston company, you know, we have some ties there. So they sort of, you know, started talking to us and it made a lot of sense. Our strategy uh, as an inbound marketing strategy because we don't do like the massive television ad blasts like some other language learning companies that you probably can think of. Um, we're all about grassroots because largely because most of our business comes from government and corporate and um, we build our stuff for those people. Uh, it's just that it would be silly to have really good effective language learning and not make it available to the public. So we do, but it's not really the primary focus of the company. But anyway, so that gave me kind of, you know, I started playing around in the social space and built them all these different social channels. And then uh, it just sort of morphed into inbound marketing. And our obviously our community was so big and it was really a big job. We just, you know, made it a department of two at that point. Like, you know, when I left the social media position, we replaced me with somebody else uh, to work with me. So it was just sort of like taking a step up to the broader, bigger picture part of it. But I love working with the transparent language stuff because it's so unique. I mean, I don't know any other company that's, you know, gone with the strategy like that. But also it's a huge value add. Um, it, we're doing something that's really, you know, good for people and they believe that and we have effective stuff. It's just, you know, we're marketing it in a grassroots way. Now, you have a ton of experience with social media outside of work and at work, and they sort of bleed into each other. Can we talk a little bit about your personal presence on social media? This does surprise some people, but I'm actually a functional introvert. Uh, I Social media was perfect for me because I love talking to people and I'm very social, but I'm also by nature very shy. So that's one reason I just completely went nuts over social media. I had been blogging about documentaries and I got into this project to make my own documentary and that, you know, that's a very social function too. It was sort of wanting to do it to just help people learn about something cool which was uh, board games, tabletop games in this in this case. So that gave me a really great canvas to experiment with all sorts of social media things and, you know, things not necessarily social media in that space like uh, Kickstarter and, you know, um, interactive video. I, I did something on my Kickstarter uh, with WhoStream, which was at the time it was in beta. You know, it was Microsoft was one of the beta partners and I was one of the beta partners. So that was, I, I loved thinking of that. That was really cool. But, um, you know, so I got to play with, 
different things and learn different things that I wouldn't have done basically in my job, but they really, really helped. Like it, it really helps to just dig in and get a feel for, you know, the social media landscape and what's happening on the internet because, you know, and gamification is another thing. It's not, I don't know if I'd call gamification inbound marketing, but it's certainly online marketing and it's certainly, you know, a big up and coming field, but um, having a video game background just naturally led me to that too. So basically I just like wallow in all the social media and internet stuff and, you know, from a personal standpoint and it does bleed over and benefit on the, on the work side. Now from a personal standpoint, do you have a favorite social network? Um, I do most of my stuff on Facebook, but I don't know if I call them my favorite because, you know, just like everybody else, they frustrate me. You know, there's this new thing where uh, you have to get a separate app to talk, uh, to do the messenger thing, uh, to send messages to your friends. And I, I really don't like that. And maybe it's just that I'm really resistant to change. But uh, Twitter's a big one. I really like Twitter. And as far as professionally, SlideShare has worked out really well for us. I like um, Pinterest, for example. I really like it, but I don't necessarily have the time to do what you need to do on Pinterest. So that's the other thing, too, as a marketer. You have to be careful. You can't do them all. You know, I like Google Plus a lot more now because of Ingress, which was extremely clever on their part. They really, really integrated their Google Plus presence into a game uh, and made it so that it was beneficial for you to be on Google Plus to play this really awesome augmented reality game. And uh, that's been very effective, I suspect, for them. I follow you on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+, and I see you posting content to all three of them, but it's not always the same content. So yeah. when, when you find something you want to share, how do you decide how to share it? Sometimes it's a function of time, because if I find, and also where it where it is to begin with, because if I happen to glance at my Facebook feed and I see like something really cool that I want to share and it's on Facebook, sharing on Facebook is really, really easy. Likewise with Twitter. If I think it's like super, super cool and like will impress all my friends, then that's when I kind of go and you know, make sure it goes on all my social channels. But the thing too to remember as a marketer and as, you know, a general social media user is that the formats for the messaging are very different, you know, from different platforms. Like, you know, obviously when you're posting on Twitter, you've got this 140 character limit, but a lot of apps and services and integrations out there let you just check a little checkbox, you know, to post whatever you're posting on Facebook, like on Twitter too, or to post to multiple social media sites at once, the same message. And I don't do that. And I also don't advise it because it just, it doesn't look the way you want it to look. And especially in an actual company environment, that's super important. You know, it's maybe less important if you're just like trying to fire off a message and share something with your friends and you don't really care. But I always make a point of crafting my Twitter messages uh, specifically for Twitter. And my Facebook messages, that's the thing too. On Facebook, if you're in a hurry, you can just share a thing. It's really best to add some commentary to it. You know, like, let there be some value add in the fact that it was you sharing it. You know, that that also helps who you are shine through. So both as a company and as, you know, a personal user, it, you just like when you do it during the day, like when it's my job, like I'm obsessed with it on a personal level too. So I'm optimizing all the time, like, you know, and it maybe doesn't matter that much on the personal side, but I can't help it. 
I've met some CEOs and ed editors-in-chief who their job isn't to be on social media, but it's important that they be there and have a presence. So, mm -hmm. th so they do use those automated tools. They'll put something on Twitter and let it feed into Facebook just because they think that's better than not being on Facebook at all. Is that true? I guess I would say it is better than not being there at all. But, you know, people... Upper management just needs to be careful. And the biggest thing is you can't teach this stuff. There aren't any shortcuts and cheat sheets, really. I mean, to a degree there are, but really, really passionately, I believe the best way to learn the proper way to do it is by doing and observing. And, you know, the VP that, you know, is on Facebook, like, you know, every six months, it, it it's almost not, that is almost not worth doing. It's just like having a Twitter account as a company and then letting it sit there and not monitor it. That is the kiss of death. That is one of the worst things you can do. Uh, because, you know, one thing I'd seen recently is that people that post a customer service problem to Twitter expect an answer within two hours on average. So if you're not monitoring those channels, do not have those channels because it will come back to bite you hardcore. I mean, you can imagine as a customer, if you like had a problem with Delta Airlines and you tweeted at them and they just, you know, never responded and it went into a black hole, that is not a good customer experience. That is not gonna, and, and it's gonna stick with them. That's, that's the danger. So both, you know, on the corporate thing and as a personal, you know, owner of a business or whatever, be very careful. You know, if you don't bite off more than you can chew, I guess would be my thing. And if you are going to be on a social network, try to use it and try to understand it. Like, otherwise there's no point. Now, about a year ago, you sort of relaunched your own personal website, but so many people nowadays just follow individuals on Twitter or Facebook or Google Plus. So what is the value in having yet another place for them to go to find you when they could just go to say LinkedIn or about.me? For one thing, it allows you to present yourself the way, like complete control over how you present yourself, like how you want to be seen. And, you know, the paper resume days are, they're not over, but it's not enough, especially for, say, you know, a graphic designer. You, it, it, LinkedIn's gotten better about this when they started letting you attach things to your profile, you know, but, but they don't let you attach everything. So, you know, you can't, you can, you know, attach a link to a video, you know, but if you had a PowerPoint presentation that you really were proud of, you know, or a PDF, there, there are limitations to what they can do and they're changing and they're getting better. So that's great. But there have been things I wanted to attach to, say, my LinkedIn profile that I thought was a good example of my work that I just couldn't do. So also the other thing about social media and about.me is not bad. If you don't have, you know, if you don't want to go through maintaining and building a full out website, about.me isn't bad. I, I tinkered with that a little bit uh, too for a while. Uh, I would say LinkedIn's better because you can be more thorough. But the thing about LinkedIn too is that it's just like any other social network. It's a stream of consciousness. So it isn't necessarily going to be your most representative thing that's going to come up first on LinkedIn. It's just going to be your most recent thing. And that's the other, um, I guess it brings up another good uh, thing you have to ask yourself about separating your professional and personal life. I tend to not do that 
because I am who I am. And in my case, especially the stuff I do on the personal side is extremely valuable for my professional career anyway. So, but you know, that choice isn't so easy for other people. So, you know, like if, if you're like in a corporate job, but you do like, you know, heavy metal music at night or you're into something gothic or something that might not, you know, it, it could rub a prospective employer the wrong way. You have to be careful and you have to make that choice, I guess, you know, if you're just going to say, hey, this is me and this is who I am, which I applaud. I prefer that route. But like I said, it's easier for me. I understand that for, you know, in some other career situations, it could be really tough. But I did my own website because, A, it makes it really easy for people to find basically my resume online. And plus, in my line of work, it's sort of almost required at this point. Just like having a digital portfolio would be required if you were a graphics designer. Inbound marketing, online marketing is just so, you know, if they don't see you doing it well and executing it in your personal life, then they will ask the question of, well, are you doing it that well professionally? And the thing is, it's kind of not a fair question because I spend most of my time working on the professional side of it. So, you know, sometimes that leaves you no time to do your own personal side and optimize that, but you need to make the time if it's, you know, if it's out there and it's visible, I guess, especially in my line of work, it's important. So it sounds like it's in one's professional best interest to maintain a personal brand for themselves even outside of their corporate identity. Yep, I totally believe that. And, you know, I also, I struggle with that a little bit because there, I mean, it's maybe not so much now, but like, you know, a couple of years ago, there was this really, really serious sense of urgency. Like, if you want to be a thought leader, you have to be out there blogging about your personal brand, you know, and, and if you're blogging and you're not doing it regularly, then you're failing, you know, and and I don't really believe in that because, I guess, as a content marketer, I see you know, frivolous content out there and I don't appreciate it. I feel like if you have something to say, you should say it and you shouldn't be like so terrified about, oh, I have to publish a blog article every Tuesday on my personal blog or else I'm a failure in life because four years down the road, like who cares? You know, you have to balance that. And so that's the whole, you know, work-life balance thing. I think you can't drive yourself crazy with this and it's really easy to do so if you dive into the analytics and get yourself obsessed. So what do you think will be the next big change or innovation that people will be encountering in social media? Well, everybody's been saying, you know, for for ages that mobile's the big thing, mobile's the next thing, you know, and uh, people want to post on the go and so forth, you know. I think, I don't know where social media would really go from here because it's so pervasive. I don't, I don't think there are going to be like, you know, dramatic new social media platforms of the type that we already have, because I think it's pretty saturated. You know, you've got the visual, you've got Pinterest, you've got the little sound bites with Twitter that people have, you know, Twitter's amazing, you know, what it's done, like just for the world, you know, just breaking news and so forth like that. Life wasn't like that when I was in, you know, say high school. So those things are amazing. Obviously, Facebook's pretty matured. I think if anything, it's possible we'll see a backlash because there's a fatigue level to doing all this, you know, and and I think you're actually starting to see that where people are talking about 
work-life balance being a myth and how you just have to do both at the same time. And, you know, everybody's adjusting to this sort of new environment and, and unplugging, you know, you're seeing a lot of people like going monk, they're calling it where they just like completely abandon all their, you know, digital devices for a weekend and just kind of unplug. I think, I think actually social media and always being on and, you know, appealing to that sort of obsessive psychological thing about all of us of checking your phone all the time. And because you want that, you know, stimulation. And I've seen studies about that where they tell people don't check your phones and then they leave them in a room. And like, I think one or two out of 10 were able to not do that. It's, it's a compulsion for us now. So I think there's going to be a backlash, if anything, to that because there's fatigue. Are there any personal projects you're working on that you want to plug? Um, well, uh, we are in the mid to final editing stages on a documentary about, uh, pinball making a resurgence like actual physical pinball uh which is a fascinating topic and that's sort of my next obsession after board games wound up being pinball and you know right now i'm also like totally obsessed with video games but that comes and goes as far as personal projects though i'm super excited about the pinball documentary it's called shoot again and uh i'm working with a very very talented uh, video guy, Blake Fawcett. So I don't know if you've heard of Mario Warfare, uh, which is making the rounds on the internet, but he's involved in that. And that was just killer awesome stuff. He does a lot of cosplay footage coverage and stuff. So he was a very visual video person. So when I wanted to do this documentary, I was just like, you are the right guy. Cause he did a little video about pinball and I wanted a video. I wanted a documentary about pinball to be beautiful beyond what I could do with my amateur film skills so that's how we teamed up and i'm really excited about that project where can we find out more about that uh if you go to shootagainmovie.com uh you can find the basic website there also we're more active on the facebook page uh if you look for shoot again the resurgence of pinball on facebook that is one of the nice things about social you know it's just so much easier to update than a traditional website so and what about yourself? Where can our listeners find you online? Ah, well, you can go to the uh, website we were discussing, lauriengreen.com, which is L-O-R-I-E-N, green like the color. Uh, and you can definitely find me on Facebook and Twitter. On Twitter, I'm just at lauriengreen. Uh, so, yeah, feel free to holler out and say hi. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. This has been really insightful, and I've come away with some stuff that I need to go look up, some of the tools that you mentioned, like Bundle Post and HubSpot, Yep. because I manage social media at my day job, and I'm always looking for ways to do it better and easier, and I've learned quite a few things that I need to now go play with. Yeah, it's about automating in a smart way that people actually want to you know, receive. And those tools are great for doing that. They really let you do that. And if you're doing social media right, it should be, in my opinion, fun and playful. Yes, it should be. And and you have to adopt whatever tone's right for your job, you know, in your company environment, of course. But I feel like, you know, the world isn't so serious anymore. You know, we're all just human beings and that's how you should talk to your customers. Excellent. Well, thank you for talking to the podcast customers for so long. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Ken. This has been the Pubcast. Find more episodes, read our blog, or send feedback by visiting us on the web at www.thepubcast.org.